Good morning. Will you please stand and join us for our call to worship from Psalm 73. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as others are. Pride is their necklace. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. I went to the sanctuary, into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. You make them fall into ruin. They are destroyed in a moment, swept away by terrors. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works.
Let us pray. Lord, we come before you and proclaim your majesty, goodness, and mercy. Out of your majesty, you filled the void and made the heavens and filled them with light. In your goodness, you created the waters, the sky, the earth, and filled them with life and blessed them. You created us in your image to share in your life and rule, to love your creation and extend its goodness. By your mercy, you sent your son to gather us when we were far off, denying your majesty, rejecting your goodness. As we gather here today, we pray that by your spirit, you recall us to the life that is found only in you, the peace with each other and creation that you intended for us. That by regarding your majesty, we might recognize the folly of trusting in ourselves, our cleverness, our strength. We pray that in the presence of your love, the ways that we have not loved, the ways that we have denied our neighbors your goodness might be made clear. We pray that as we consider the cost of the mercy shown to us in the faithful sacrifice of your son, we may comprehend and feel the breadth and length, height and depth of the love that surpasses knowledge. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Children are dismissed for children's worship.
Um, we will now continue through a time of confession. First, we will do so corporately and then through song and then have a time for personal confession. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Gracious and gentle Father, we confess to you the sins that we continue to struggle with, even after confessing them to you time and time again. Give us hope and perseverance, we pray through Jesus our Lord. Amen.
Father, we thank you that you are for us, even when we turn away from you. That when we acknowledge our weakness, you bend down to us and draw near to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand for the words of assurance. <clears throat> who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Just as we have been welcomed, um, let us welcome one another. to me. Don't do this. I was just getting revenge. That's pretty good. But in piano lessons, I do uh, high five, which would be high four yeah, in violin. Yeah. <laughs> you know. There's not as much variety. This guy doesn't turn off.
sin shall go free. Please be seated. The New Testament lesson is from Romans 5, verses 12 to 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Again, it's good to be worshiping uh, with you and a chance to uh, look at God's word. Uh, thank you, Natalie, for reading from the scripture. And this is the first Sunday of the season of Lent, uh, and you'll notice a, a note in your order that during this Lent, well, our sermon series, uh, we're going to explore uh, the different ways that scripture speaks of God's action toward our sin and toward our shame. 
Uh, just for example, we'll hear that God washes away our guilt, that God forgives our trespasses. He remembers our sin no more. Uh, and by looking at what God does or how God acts towards our sin, I, I, my hope is that we can both explore kind of the nature of our need, the nature of our condition, but also the depth of God's love for us. And my hope is that taking a close look at these different kind of verbs or different descriptions of, of God's action, it might even give us a, a fresh perspective to think again about who God is and how God acts for us in Christ. And so we're going to read uh, the first 10 verses from Psalm 51 this morning. And in this psalm, we'll see that the image of washing, it runs throughout. That God is the God who can wash us and make us clean, creating us a clean heart. So let's look at our passage. This is Psalm 51, 1 through 10. You can follow in your order of worship or your Bible. To the choir master, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom and the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is God's word uh, given for our good. Well, as we begin our time, I just want to take a moment to, to start by making some observations uh, to point out some things from these uh, verses from Psalm 51. And we can start by noting that not all psalms have a, a superscription, but Psalm 51 does. Before we hear David's prayer, we hear this specific uh, words, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. You see, the psalm has a specific context. Maybe you know the story that one of the soldiers, one of King David's soldiers, why away at battle, King David had committed adultery with that soldier's wife. And later, in an attempt to cover up what he had done, David arranged for that soldier to be killed. It's an awful series of events. And yet, throughout and even afterwards, David seems willing to ignore it, to hide it or cover it, to just try to forget what has happened. But then one day, the prophet Nathan visits him, and in front of the king, in front of the king's court, he calls out David for his actions. And David's spiritual awakening is sudden. Through the spirit of God and through the prophet, David sees, he sees in a painful way the depth of what he's done, the depth of his sin, the depth of his guilt, 
and he is ashamed. And this awakening brings what we could describe as an eruption of prayer, a deep longing for forgiveness. He speaks in the first person and addresses God very directly and very personally. I know my trespasses. My sin haunts me. I know my transgressions. They are ever before me. Against you have I sinned. Have mercy on me, O God. The psalm's first part is overloaded with words for sin and forgiveness. There's four different words for sin used 11 times. There's six different expressions of forgiveness used nine times. But all these different words for sin or forgiveness, they all fall under this opening plea, this opening plea of the psalm. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And as we get our bearings and try to get the observations, part of what we can ask is can we sense the longing for forgiveness? And these words, whether we're hearing them for the first time or ones that we're familiar with, can we feel this longing for forgiveness, this shame and pain, the desperation for God to do something? I imagine many of us can or have related to these words of honest confession or honest desperation. Have mercy on me, O God. And to help us enter into this psalm, to, to think about what it says about God's actions towards us, I want us to ask two questions. The first one being, what is the primary petition of this prayer? And then second, what does it mean for us to be washed? So we can start with this first question. What is the primary request? What is the primary longing of this prayer? And we can maybe summarize it in a, in a real simple statement. It is, cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. God, in your mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. Purge me. And I shall be clean. In particular, uh, we can notice, uh, to, to observe that the words blot out, wash, cleanse are repeated. They both open and they close our passage. And they form this kind of reverse repetition that makes a type of circle and all circling around this longing for forgiveness and forgiveness described in terms of washing. Cleanse me from my sin. It's interesting, not just to feel the intensity of the prayer, but in this intense moment of guilt and shame, David does not use the most common words for forgiveness or God's response that we see in the Old Testament. He could have said something along the lines of forgive or, or bear my sin or, or cover my sin. But rather, David speaks of a cleansing, clean me, such that I will be white as snow. Now, we don't know why he uses this unique language, but I think it might show how deeply he feels his guilt. Think about it. sin here is described as a stain 
a stain upon him. We can think about that in our everyday life, right? A stain in a clothing or something else that it's, it's ground in. It, it seems like it will never come out, right? This is just going to have to be thrown away. This is partly what David's saying. It's, it's ever before me. It's always up upon me. See, sin is understood. It's experienced as a stain. And the request for forgiveness, it, it carries an awareness, a desperation even, that washing is something only the Lord can do. That washing is something only the Lord can do. And so therefore, David cries, my God, please blot out all my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin. Earlier this month, I saw an article uh, with the, the heading, how often should you wash your jeans? It caught my attention. How often should you wash your jeans? And the subtitle, it's fine to wait weeks, even months, experts say. Let me share a few lines. Maybe, maybe you're wondering how often you should wash your jeans. Let me share a few lines from this article. Jeans come in all manners of style, but there's a divide among jean wearers as to how much to wash them. And if you're washing your jeans after every wear or two, you're likely washing them too much, at least according to multiple designers and experts, jean experts out there. The article mentions a few examples. Back in 2017, there was a study of a student at the University of Alberta. Maybe he volunteered for this, but he wore the same jeans for 15 months straight without washing them. But they contained the same bacterial levels as they did when he wore them just for two weeks. So who knows? Also, the article mentions that the Levi CEO confessed to not putting his jeans in the wash for over a decade. And that Robert McMillan, who is the founder of a jean company here in Chicago, this is what I think maybe my favorite line, washing, he recommends washing as infrequently as you can while still enjoying putting them on. <laughs> washing as infrequently as you can while still enjoying putting them on. <laughs> yeah. What comes to mind when we think about washing? The primary petition of our psalm, right, is cleanse me, wash me. And maybe we can think of washing clothes like jeans or washing our hands or our hair or a sink full of dirty dishes. But I think the thing about washing, right, this petition is that even if we're using a dishwasher, even if we're using a washing machine, that there is something concrete. There is a hands-on activity uh, there is in the idea of washing something, that there's something intimate and direct. And therefore, we're invited to think about that in terms of forgiveness. We know what it's like to handle dirty items. It was dirty, but we washed it. We, we took out the stain. We scrubbed it. And now it's clean. And you can see and you can smell the difference. See, later in the story with Nathan and David, Nathan speaks encouragement to David, and he declares to him, the Lord has put away your sin. And this is, this is good news. This is a significant act. 
But the language of this psalm is, is slightly different. It's, it's this specific language of washing is more personal. Do you see that? Do you feel that? It's not just that sin is put away, but that you, O oh God, have scrubbed me. You've cleaned me of my sin. You've washed me and you have made me clean. Here the object is not a dish or jeans, but it's a person, a sinner, you and me. Interestingly, the, the verb that's used by David in this psalm, it's everywhere else, it's always used to describe washing clothing. Here's the only place where it's described in a personal way. It's a David, he was seeking a way to express what he longed for, his petition, and he says, God, God launder me, wash me, scrub me. This is the petition that David brings, and it's one that we are invited in God's word to speak as well. And that petition then leads us to the second question that we can ask is, is what does it mean for us to be washed? What does it mean for us to be washed? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. As I mentioned, nowhere else in the Old Testament is this word translated wash used to describe washing a person. It's, it's always referring to a garment or clothing. And I think part of the, the, the uniqueness of that, this unique image invites us to feel and even to enter in ourselves to this emotional confession, this emotional longing. And so one of the things that we can think about when we ask what's it mean to be washed is, is that this psalm invites you and me, this image invites us to confess our stains, confess our need to be cleansed, our, to confess our longing for such truth. You see how David writes about it, my sin is ever before me, I have done what was evil in your, in your eyes so you are justified, God, when you speak and blameless when you judge. Throughout our passage, David speaks of his actions as transgressions, iniquities, sins, evil. And this is language to help us put out our own acknowledgement, to put into words our longing before God to be washed. Transgression implies crossing of a boundary. This carries this idea of rebellion, going where you're not supposed to. The word sin is this kind of more broad metaphor of missing the mark of I was shooting for a target, but I fell short. Iniquity connotes this idea of a kind of a grossly unfair or immoral action. And the, and the overarching term for all of this is evil to act in a way against what is good and what is true and what is right. And it's in light of this honest confession, after putting into words what he has done or who he is, this acknowledgement that David then prays, purge me with hyssop, let me be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And as part of thinking about the, the invitation to confess our own need, my thought is that today, as we hear this, that we ourselves can speak 
Lord, wash me. Let me be clean. And maybe we can think of the past and give thanks for that relief, for that forgiveness. Or maybe it's right now that we feel the desperation to know such grace. What does it mean to be washed? Our passage describes the impact of God's washing with the image, I shall be whiter than snow. This kind of trying to put into words or a, a picture of what it means for something to be that was stained and dirty now to be clean. It's elsewhere attested to something similar in Isaiah, where Isaiah, God speaks through the prophet, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they may be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Maybe you've seen in the news the last couple of days the rare weather happening out in Los Angeles and California where they're experiencing snow. I saw uh, an image of, of kind of people looking up towards the Hollywood sign that there were snow flurries falling around the Hollywood sign. And one of the articles wrote, local residents seen marveling at the unfamiliar sight of snow. <laughs> local residents seen marveling. It made me think of one author writing about this image in the psalm that while snow was rare, it did happen in ancient Israel. In the winter months in certain regions, they could experience you know, a day or two of snowfall with just an inch or two. But this author, when describing this, said it was considered to be an unusual and striking phenomena. An unusual and striking phenomena, similar to the news story about L.A., people marveling at what they see. What an interesting description to think about what God promises us in the psalm. A striking phenomena to be cleansed of your sin. To marvel at this idea of what, what was always before me to be scrubbed and set aside and taken. To be made clean. To know joy and gladness, not because my sin is somehow you know, forgotten or explained away or covered up, but because it is seen and addressed and washed that I can rest in the actions of God. What does it mean to be washed? Well, I said that this psalm invites us to confess and to acknowledge our sin. And as part of that, it, it also allows us to, to feel our limitations, our own frailty. You see, another part in the Old Testament where washing is referenced in, in Jeremiah 2, washing is here, is, is used as an image that, that we cannot arrive at where we want to, to be ourselves, that we cannot get this off of us. In the condemnation of the people for their sin, the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah said, you wash with soap and you use much lye, but the stain of your iniquity is We know what this is like, right? That we 
we want to wash ourselves. But what happens when that washing is not effective? It can be a vain and empty action because the stain, the stain is, is too ingrained to be removed. That trying to do what's right or setting things back doesn't take it away. My sin is ever before me. And again, <clears throat> the psalm invites us to wonder if we feel that same experience. To feel our own frailty and inability to take away the things that are upon us. Well, Psalm 51, the reason it's a crying out to God, this desperation, it's a longing for God to do what only God can do to create in us a clean heart, to make us white as snow, to bring joy and gladness into places of shame. And why this language, as I mentioned, is unique in the Old Testament. It's the only place where this verb is used applying to a person the language is actually relatively common in the New Testament because wonder of wonders, this striking phenomena is that part of the promise of Christ is that you and I are washed, that everyone who is in Christ is washed and made clean before God. This unusual language is part of the identity of those who have faith in Christ. When the Apostle Paul first came to faith and he was baptized, the one who led him to be baptized, Ananias, said to Paul, rise and be baptized. In the name of Jesus, your sins will be washed away. It's part of the very gospel claim of Christ. And similarly, later on, when Paul, the one who had been washed, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, <clears throat> he says to his brothers and sisters there, you were washed you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. In this image of washing of this identity in Christ, this promise of the gospel, it has this kind of penultimate image in Revelation where the, the writer John says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. <clears throat> and one of the elders who was present asked John, the writer of Revelation, sir, who are these clothed in white robes? And John said, you know. And the elder says to him, these are the ones who've come out of the tribulation. They have washed their robes and they are made white in the blood of the lamb. They've been cleansed. They know what it is to be made white as snow. The passage goes on, therefore they are before the throne of God and they are before the one who sits on the throne and they are sheltered by his presence. No more shall they hunger, no more shall they thirst for the lamb is in the midst of the throne and he is their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and wipe away every tear from their eye. Have mercy on me, O God. Wash me thoroughly. This is the promise of Christ. 
And today I invite you, whether it is to remember the past and give thanks that this is who you are in Christ, or today it's an invitation to those things that are upon you that, you, that are ever before you, to bring them to Christ, the one who has power to scrub and declare you clean now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that for the good news that you can do what we cannot, that you can do what we cannot, that you can make us clean, you can wash us anew. And so, Lord, we pray that we know that, experience that, receive that this day, that we may walk in newness of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together.
Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And as we remind ourselves uh, each week as we prepare to come to the table, this table is not set uh, for those who know how to handle everything or have always done what was right or have a perfect record or to use the images of our sermon, have never gotten dirty or, or know how to always you know, wash themselves. Rather, this table is set for sinners, those who are painfully aware of the need for forgiveness and desperately aware that that's something that only God can do. And this is the good news that Christ, through his body and through his blood, has made a family of sinners who know forgiveness, who by the Spirit are adopted as children, who have a place at the family meal of God by his grace from beginning to end. So if this is something that you know, that you have faith, you know your sin, have faith in Christ, then come and eat and drink. If you're still thinking about what Christianity is or who Christ is, then let this table be an invitation to you, an invitation that God has come to bring good news to sinners, to wash and make us clean, that we can rest before him. This is the good news of Christ and the good news of his table. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this meal, and we pray that you would, by your spirit, meet us. That you'd use this bread and this cup to minister to us and care for us, speaking your grace into our need. That you would lift our heads, that we would learn to rest and walk in your spirit and in your good news. And we pray by your ministry of the Spirit that we would learn anew how to treat one another, how to be people marked by forgiveness and mercy towards one another and towards our neighbors. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite those who are participating in communion to come down the center aisle, and you can receive the bread and cup from those who are serving up front. I ask that you go back on the sides and if, if you're able to hold the elements until everyone's been served that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not taking communion today, we're glad that you're here and we invite you to still to come forward and you can receive a prayer blessing here at the table. Just put your arm across your chest and Pastor Brian or I will offer a prayer for you. Let us come now and receive the gifts that God has given to us.
Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Well, I invite you to stand if you're able to respond to the table of, of God's grace that we can pray and sing and confess as his people. Jesus, our Lord, help us to cast aside our own pursuits of exaltation. Grant by your spirit that we may live as servants of all, bearing a genuine humility that trusts in your grace as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Sorry, why don't we stand back up? Sorry about that. I forgot the <laughs> Apostles' Creed. We should say that standing up if you, were able, if you were able. Let's join together in confessing our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may, you may seize it. Well, now we're going to continue worship through... Uh, responding to God's generosity by giving our gifts uh, to God and to the work of the church. So I invite for the, the greeters, they have a, a basket you can put your communion cup in and there's a plate that you can give your offering if you would like to do that. Also, if you'd like to give, you can do it through the church's website. You'll see a note here uh, or by text as well. I just want to take a moment to say uh, welcome again. We're glad that we could gather for worship, especially if you are visiting or just started coming. We're really glad that you are, are here. And just a reminder for everybody that after the service, there is a time of coffee and bagels. It's in the cafeteria, if, if, uh, just to my left. If you go out the back doors, turn left, uh, you'll see um, the glass doors there. And so I just invite you to stay after, have a chance to get to know each other, and you can go over and enjoy some coffee or, or a bagel. Uh, one other thing just to highlight, if, if you are uh, visiting or new to the congregation, you'd like to share your information to get the, the weekly email and make sure you get all the information about the church, uh, there's a QR code in the back of your order. You can you know, fill it out online. Or there's a welcome card at the, at the back table. Just fill it out, and we'll make sure that you um, get followed up with and receive uh, the weekly email. And the last thing to mention is that we have some dinners coming up. Uh, these are just chances to get to know others in the church and enjoy a meal together. So if you'd like to be part of those, you can see them in your order. Um, you can sign up through the weekly email, or there is some sheets in the back that you can sign up for the upcoming uh, dinners. There's two in March and one in April. Let us continue uh, worshiping by the giving of our gifts.
please stand and join us for the doxology?
receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen. You may go in peace.